Welcome to the Multitask. I'm John. It's your boy Friday. What's going on, guys? So, Thanksgiving week, I think we all ate well, but it turned out not to be as slow as a news week as we anticipated, even during the holiday. Um, needless to say, uh, one of our resident bigots in Colorado on the right side, Lauren Bobert, decided to go ahead and go all Islamophobic on Ilhan Omar. Uh, would you share with the audience what happened? Uh, you might know all the details. I understand she it started, if I'm not mistaken, it started with um, when they were doing the center of, of Gosar, she was going at uh, Omar there and then calling her like uh, the jihad and all this stuff. And then I guess she was at a fundraiser over the holiday and, and she went into that rhetoric again, which was perfectly filmed and, and perfect HD. Um, I am surprised though, that she apologized. Did we ever figure out what happened there? Was it just uh, maybe McCarthy McConnell, or what do you think? Well, first of all, just so you guys know, she called um, the she called Ilhan and I think Rashida. Well, really, the squad itself, the Jihad Squad, right? Um, yeah. So, and as you said, she was at this event, and there was video of her basically implying that when she got in the elevator with Ilhan Omar. Uh, she noticed Ilhan did not have a backpack, so she felt comfortable, meaning, you know, like she didn't have an explosive device tied to her. So, um, and, you know, Ilhan clapped back immediately, called her a buffoon, and actually said that whenever they're, you know, she's in her presence, she looks down, meaning Bobert looks down because she's afraid to look Ilhan in the eyes. And I believe that because when you got someone like that who talks trash all the time, says a lot of mm -hmm. impolite stuff, when they're confronted with the person that they're coming at, you know, I could see where it get a little hinky, but... I don't know what prompted Bobert's apology. And, you know, it was the typical racist apology, if I offended anyone, and if I offended anyone Muslim. First of all, lady, you you offended everybody, not just Muslims. Secondly, it's not, you don't apologize saying if I offended you. If you apologize, you apologize. And even the people who weren't offended, you owe them an apology to a certain extent. So um, I don't know if it was McCarthy the problem that McCarthy's got right now, I'm not sure if you saw the statement that uh, Pelosi and the rest of the Democratic leadership put out, basically calling him out. Now, he may have called her and said something to her, but the reality is, unless he condemns her publicly and unless the Republicans condemn her publicly, I think, you know, she's going to have to walk a plank here. And, there, and, you know, right before we started, you and I, you know, mentioned it, but I think we might want to talk about it now, is I think that, we should always be able to come down and condemn the craziness of the Republicans. But I'm also worried that we'll get into the habit of constantly taking away their committee assignments and or censoring them. And does that become a distraction? Well, yeah, it's it's loaded with a lot of different layers here. I'll start with saying <clears throat> that just we're the left has held just a different standard than the right is. We all, I think are, are just accepting of that. I, I I don't know why we're accepting of that. Right. We see the difference between Al Franken to even Governor Cuomo to Matt Gates and, and Boebert and MTG. Right. Um, we've also seen just the double standard that the Republicans will put up with publicly versus privately. We've seen McCarthy, uh, condemn uh, MTG's kind of comments in the past and then privately tell her, hey, as soon as we have the majority again, you're going to get all your assignments back, right? So the part of the problem is you can never take the Republicans 
they're never going to do things in good faith. They're just going to do things to save face. But privately, they want to do different things. The other problem here is what I call propaganda. And there's a, a saying that says war starts with propaganda. Not that this is war, but what I'm saying is we're fighting something here that I think my only criticism from the left is this, is sometimes I feel like we bring a knife to a gunfight, figuratively speaking. And the reason I say that is because if I was somebody, maybe not Pelosi, maybe not leadership, but if I was somebody uh, uh, on the team, if you will, I would come out and say, hey, you want to call her a terrorist, Bober? That's cool. But like, there wasn't any of her people on, there on January 6th. Bober, you have been arrested more times than Omar has. MCG was the one who was calling for violence against people for uh, and for vaccination mandates, right? Um uh, Hawthorne or whoever the, co- the representatives Hawthorne, I can't even Madison, whatever his name Madison is, Cawthorn. was the one Madison who, Cawthorn. Madison Cawthorn, yeah, he's the one who was caught with a gun in the airport. None of these are the people you're saying are terrorists are not the ones who are doing these things, right? So who's the real terrorists here? Who are the real terrorists here? When we all know that the FBI, the CIA, every single one of the uh, alphabet or uh, assignments, if you will, they all say that white terrorism, white nationalists, white extremists are the biggest threat to this country as far as terrorism goes. So who's the actual terrorist here? And I think some of that rhetoric, speaking as a Middle Eastern man, some of that rhetoric has to get said here is, hey, you're, you're, it's cool you call her a terrorist, hot cool, you might get a couple of fundraising dollars off of it, but you're the one who has a rap sheet. And MCG is the one who who is calling for violence, and your people are the ones who are causing violence. So I think we have to fight back a little bit like that. I'm fine with censuring. I'm fine with trying to do everything we can by the book. Um, but the problem is they use this as – this isn't – I said this last week, but this isn't a bug in the system. This is the feature. This is the software that they're running is these attacks to try to get people to vote for them. So we have to fight that a little bit, I think. Yeah, and but one of the things, too, and this goes back to Trump, I think I'm sick and tired of the members of the media and other well-meaning folks saying we shouldn't call them racist, uh, we should hear them, we should, uh, all this rhetoric. Here's the problem. Trump got more votes this time than he did last time. These idiots, MTG, Bobert, Getz, Jordan, all the uh, Kosar, Biggs, they pander to a base level deviant, a deplorable, if you will, something Hillary got in trouble for. And we keep wanting to try to understand them, not we, but the media keeps trying to want to understand them. Don't we have to start realizing that Bobert and MTG and Getz and Trump and Jordan and, and Biggs and Gosar, they're not the problem. It's the millions of Americans who vote for them, who empower them, who put them in power. And we sit there and we kind of try to isolate the problem. And we hit, sit there, the, the media sits there and is very sympathetic and is giving them, making them part of focus groups. But the reality is, is what you're doing is you're legitimizing and you're rationalizing bigotry, racism, divisiveness, treason. I mean, think about all the bad characteristics that they have. And... It, they're in many ways legitimizing them. So I think one of the things that just really upsets me is the fact that Bobert did what she did, and we can condemn her. But the real the reality is, is there's a very good chance she'll get reelected. 
There's a very good chance MTG will get reelected. There's a very good chance that Gosar will get reelected. There's a very good chance that Biggs will get reelected and Gates and Jordan. And what about the millions of people who vote for them? They are a problem. And they're not a problem because they don't necessarily believe in a woman's right to choose. They're not a problem because they don't think that taxes should be as high as they are. They're not a problem because they even want to have guns. They're a problem because when they see bigotry, when they see just rather just just disgusting behavior, they reward it as opposed to condemning it. And that's something that we really have to contend with as as we move forward, you know, as we look to 2022, 2024, other elections, but also as we just live on a day-to-day basis. Our country's sick in the head, and we need to stop and realize that a lot of what's wrong with our politics is what's wrong with our society. And I don't think our society is a reflection of our politics. Our politics is a reflection of our society. And these are, we have some severe problems, and we shouldn't just assume because we're in a democracy that it's okay to elect people like this. Yeah, I mean, I completely obviously agree with you. The, the problem lies in this is that I think we're still trying to get those people to vote for us. And this is what I was saying in 2020 with the with the election, even uh, in the runoffs in Georgia, was this idea that I'm done trying to convince those people to vote for us. They're never going to come back. Those people, if they're voting for Bober, MTG, Gosar, it's over. The way politics is in this country now is you're going to pick a team and you're dying for that team. Unfortunately, the Obama to Trump voter is no longer going to be a Trump to Biden voter. That I don't think that person exists. Or if it does, it's not enough to swing elections. I think we much rather focus, instead of having that ad that's that's uh, you poll on, you try to figure out how can I placate the left and try to get some of the center right. Instead of doing that, I'd much rather just do what's best for the country, govern for that, and then start passing voter rights laws. Because I saw, speaking of your point of the media, I saw a headline today about Trump focusing on Michigan because there's going to be a new legislator there in Michigan. And he's he wants that because that's his strategy for 2024. The headline in the article didn't point out that that's rigging an election. That's fascism. It's uh, basically saying, hey, no matter who you vote for, you're going to give it to me anyways, right? And so the media also has to do a good job of pointing out that I guess what I want to say is I'm done coddling these people. I think Matt Gates, Gosar, MTG, Bobert, I think they're white nationalists. I think they're fascists. I think they're all those things. I'm done trying to like, I'm done trying to just placate that middle. And I'm, uh, we have to call this what it is. Everybody's looking all the, if you are on Reddit, 4chan for more than five minutes, all of these countries are looking at these people like, we're this close to authoritarian state and we're the only ones who are not acting like it and everybody else seems to be going with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I'm, I'm going to go, I'm, but I'm going to kind of shock you because I know we talk politics a lot, but it's not a political problem. It's a society problem. And I agree with you from an electoral strategy, but the problem is, is that the only people who seem invested and the only real resources seem to be in the electoral space. We need to go ahead and we need to confront racism. And not the politicians doing it, but leaders. Leaders who are not necessarily elected officers. We need to go ahead and deal with these issues. I'm not to 
look, I'm I'm not one of these people who feel that we need to cobble the races, but I am looking at communities and, and neighborhoods and districts and states and saying, you know what, those people are dangerous and they're a problem. How do we make them less of a problem? And I'm not talking about in the voting booth. I'm talking about as a threat to society. You know, uh, you know, we're going to talk about Ahmaud Arbery, but don't forget at the same time that the Arbery case was going on, you had the situation in Charlottesville, West in Virginia, where, of course, fortunately, the, the, the uh, white supremacists lost that case where they were being sued for damages. But before we even get into that political space, we have to figure out how we as a country are going to let people get back to being decent and get back to, and trust me, we cannot trust the media to solve this problem. I work in politics. I love politics. We cannot trust politicians to solve this problem. This is a problem that's going to require grassroots, community-based people saying, we need to live in a much better, decent society. We don't. Now, what happens is we actually um, live with and socialize and hang out with common, you know, people we share space with and even the bigots do as well. So we're not as bad, but we need to figure out how we're going to solve that problem. And, and it's, it's, it's dangerous. And, and trust me, you fix that, the politics will take care of itself. But unless you fix that, if, 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 if when Lauren Boebert said what she did, she got a round of applause. What we need to worry about is not getting those people right now their votes. We need to get make it so that when Lauren Boebert says stuff like that, no one in the room applauds. Because she wouldn't say that. They wouldn't pander to those type of people if those type of people did not exist. Right? You know, a lot of, we keep hearing all this stuff about economic anxiety and all this other stuff. The stuff that really motivates and animates the right is not policy. It's a divisiveness. And that's the thing that we really have to figure out how we're going to overcome. Again, not from a political standpoint, but from a societal standpoint and people who don't even care about politics. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, this is how I look at it, to use one of our, our famous sports analogies, is it, they say if you want to know how teams think you're weak, just look at how they prepare for you, right? And when I look at the Republicans, I see a few things. The main thing is that whole CRT, the whole trying to ban books, the whole trying to not teach race, all that stuff is them looking at us and oh, this is how we continue to breed these racists and these white nationalists is because we're not actually teaching history. And I don't want to be naive and say, as long as we teach history properly, that everything will be fixed. I don't. What I mean is, is the roots, right? I agree with you. Politics is not the problem as much as it's the deep-rooted system in this country that allows, frankly, uh, white supremacy continue to reign, right? And so we have to do a good job of, like you said, not just show up for the presidential election, but the school board meetings, the local elections, you're in Chicago, aldermen, all this stuff that matters across the board. And we've seen what Republican president can do and what a Democratic president can do. And you can't tell me this McCarthy, are we better off than we were 10 months ago? BS is just that it's BS, right? Just look at this. We are proudly showcasing the Clintons, Obama, Michelle, Biden, all those people are very publicly liked in this country. Bush is somewhere in a ranch painting and Republicans don't bring him out for any single event. 
And the same thing with Trump, really, where it's like, we don't know if we want him to be part of our campaign. That says all you need to know about who's really in, in charge. Does that make sense? I, I'm trying to say that we know the truth The truth and history is on our side. Instead of trying to make it so that, okay, history will tell the truth, we have to start telling the truth loud and proud now. And we have to start calling this stuff out for what it is. Right. And one of the things, and again, you, you went to politics, and I agree. But moving away from politics, and I think we will go right now to the Ahmaud Arbery thing, which you know, falls right a week after the Kyle Rittenhouse thing. By the way, Kyle Rittenhouse, Mr. Black Lives Matter, Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, Mr. Mr. CRT, Kyle Rittenhouse, who said, you know, if the per if the defendant was black and poor, uh, they might not have had the defense that he had. Dude, you just went ahead and and, and validated CRT. But moving to Ahmad Aubrey, uh, all three men were guilty, um, varying uh, degrees of guiltiness, but it speaks to that problem. I don't know if these guys were political or not. I'm not sure how they voted, but we live in a society where it's completely acceptable in many circles, and if, unless that video had come out, to for white men to ride around and police their communities. Now, in the case of Kyle Rittenhouse, he shot three white guys, but there's still this whole vigilante, and is there's is there's a white supremacist race-based piece again before we get to the polls. You know, Ahmed Aubrey is alive. I mean, it's dead. And I think Ahmed Aubrey would have been dead even if, if Hillary Clinton was president because there's this white resentment, this white angst towards people of color and their allies in the community. Hence, Kyle Rittenhouse going up to Kenosha and killing three and killing two white guys and wounding a third. Um, again, before you even get to the polls, there's something that says this is acceptable behavior. And also, I'm not sure if you saw the video about this guy by the name of Kyle Carruth out of Lubbock, Texas, who killed uh, his current wife or girlfriend's ex-husband who was coming to pick up a child. That's that's out there, and that's something we have to contend with. Yeah, I I think the, the most underestimated thing about this whole process, and it, it was really talked about after the the guilty verdicts was this would have never been even a trial, right? The, the, the local people looked at it and said, there's nothing here. Don't worry about it until the video came out until public outrage came out that they, everybody had to relook at it. So if this, if there was no video, this would have never even happened. And I think this ties into what we were just both saying about getting involved and people think the protests are nothing. They're not nothing. People think the shirts, the hashtags, the um, interruptions of, of Sarah Huckabee Sanders at dinner. They, people think that none of that stuff matters. And although it's not necessarily producing results that we want, I think it all matters. And if we just all got involved, we could actually change this country for the better. I truly do believe that. 2020 was a record number of people who voted, and it still wasn't a significant part of the population of this country. There's still a lot of people who didn't vote. And as far as the case... I feel, um, what's the word I want? I'm grateful for the fact that his family got what they needed. It, it's never going to bring them back. I'm sure there's going to be a settlement here soon enough. That's never going to bring him back. I'm just grateful that this wasn't swept under the rug amongst all the probably millions of cases that's happened over the past 200 years. I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful that as a country, we could look at something that's pretty obvious and have it come forward, which is the juxtaposition of the Rittenhouse case, which was something pretty clearly 
uh, a crime, and yet there was no charges brought up, or there was no uh, guilty verdict. You know, and what's interesting, a lot of people brave about how well this prosecutor did, and I thought she did a great job, but I still wonder, and I hear people ragging on the in-house prosecutors, I wonder how much that prosecution was so successful and so effective because of the judge. Likewise, so I mean by that is I wonder how this how this prosecutor would have done in the Kyle Rittenhouse case with the Rittenhouse judge and how the Kyle Rittenhouse judge, would, I mean, prosecutor would have done in the Arbery case. I thought that she did a great job, but I did, but you have to notice, though, too, if you watch and paid attention to any of either uh, case, you know that it seemed like the, the prosecutor in the Arbery case had a lot more room to play. It seemed like the prosecutor in the Rittenhouse was handcuffed. You know, going back to sports analogies, you know how when the refs, you know, refs call a tight game, right? It's essentially in the Rittenhouse case, Schroeder was an NBA ref and Rittenhouse was LeBron James. You know, it's like, how dare you look at him the wrong way? And, you know, um, I don't know. It, 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 it was, it was fascinating. I was nervous. I was nervous, you know, uh, listening to it because, uh, I'm used to being disappointed. I've seen Rodney King, people get off, and there was videotape. Um, and all it takes is one person. And you know the 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 defense used some racially charged uh, approaches that in Georgia may have paid off. But I do think it's funny that um, in the South, the backward South, it seems like the white supremacist crime got better justice than the white supremacist crime got in the liberal state, you know, because don't forget the capital of Wisconsin, Madison is very liberal, in the liberal state of Wisconsin, the northern state. I thought that was a pretty fascinating uh, uh, development. Yeah, to, to go along with your sports analogy, I wouldn't even say the ref called it tight. When the ref tries to influence the game, which I think clearly the judge here tried to do, was try to influence the game as much as he could. Um, the fact that, by the way, there's people in jail for legally having a gun who might have maybe not had it proper paperwork or might not had it shown or might not have a holster. There's a lot of technicalities and cops will nitpick that for certain groups of people. And here's a 70 year old who's not legally allowed to have a gun and we can't even charge him with that crime. Right. And so that's what that's, I totally agree with your analogy of the ref trying to be trying to influence the game as much as possible. It just seemed like if you want justice, if you want the right verdict, you should be able to really, open up the game, if you will, and allow uh, both sides to really prove their case. In the Rittenhouse trial, it's clear that the judge was... Well, it gets me as a Trump ringtone. Like, how is that not some sort of ethics violation? How is that not no, sort no, of some... No, no, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disabuse you of that right now. That's, um, judges are elected officials. Um, judges are... They're, in, the, in the courtroom, they're apolitical. That ringtone while disturbing was not any kind of violation. I mean, think about it. Um, if you have a Democratic judge and the ringtone is, uh, what's his name? You know, the Black Eyed Peas, uh, Will I Am's version of, uh, you know, Yes We Can. Um, it tells you a little bit about the perspective, but we're we're foolish if we think that judges don't come from one political party or the other. Um, I don't, I... I wasn't disturbed by the ringtone so much as I was just, oh, we got, I knew we had a Republican judge, but there are a ton of Republican judges. Some of the judges that are holding 
the um, insurrectionists, the January 6th defendants, you know, guilty and accountable are, were appointed by Republicans. A judge is going to be political. I'm at political events all the time, and there are a ton of Democratic judges. But you hope that when they're on the bench, that they let the law lead them. Um, trust me, the judge in in uh, Georgia could be just as far right. We don't know anything about him. It's just that his ringtone didn't go off, and he ran a very objective court, right? But if it's Georgia and he's an elected judge, there's probably a better than 70% chance that student is just as far right as the judge in um, Kenosha. It's just that that judge basically went with more a more objective, you know, uh, stance during, during the trial. Yeah, but I don't mean a violation legally as much as I mean, like, just like the doctors take an oath to do all they can, all that stuff. There has to, like, I feel like, I feel like that's crossing the line. I feel like that's inputting yourself as a judge into the case when the whole point of that is to not be involved in the case as much as it's to make sure that everyone's playing by the rules. And I'm not a conspiracy theory. I'm just going to float something really quick is I wonder how much of this was like purposeful, not to say, not to disrupt it, just to say, Hey, I, I want you guys to know where I stand on this. And, um, I just wonder if that's just like some sort of like when the ref just starts teeing people for the sake of teeing people to say, hey, I'm here. You're not going to get away with everything you're going to get away with. I've never seen that. I'm sure there's a million cases where a judge phone rang off. I'm sure it's not the only time in the history. Just a high profile case and a judge who has experience. It just doesn't strike me as like something that should have happened, to be honest. But I, what I'm saying is if if that judge, it would, what we're running into here is a confirmation bias issue. If that same ringtone went off in the courtroom in Georgia, it, we would not have reacted the same way because we were not already in a position to dislike that judge. You see what I'm saying? And, and so I'm telling you, the ringtone confirms what we knew about them, but the ringtone is not, to me, any kind of problematic. And maybe it's because, like I say, I get Democratic judges elected all the damn time. And and the thing is, though, is you elect them because despite what their political beliefs are, they should follow the law. And as I tell you, I guarantee you, there's, I'm not sure we could probably do a little bit of research and learn more about the judge in Georgia, but because we got the result that we wanted in Georgia, there's no desire for us to walk back. Let me tell you, let me give you a perfect example. You know who Jason Van Dyke is, the the cop that went, uh, that 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 shot Laquan McDonald. One of his lawyers ran for office and won. Do you know what party that lawyer belongs to? Uh, Democratic. I want to say Democrats. Demo Democratic Party. What I'm trying to tell you is that in the legal space, in the le and don't and trust me that white female prosecutor in Georgia could very well be a Republican. I'm, I'm just, when, when you, it's not the party that someone belongs to, it's their overall ethics. It's how they conduct the case. And so the ringtone confirmed, may have confirmed what we suspected, but the ringtone in of itself did not really, should not have indicated a bias is what I'm saying. It, 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 it didn't disturb me. It was a great thing to go ahead and, and do a soccer flop over and say, oh, this is horrible. But 
there's a ton of judges out there that are throwing folks in the slammer for January 6th, and they were appointed by Donald Trump. So that's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. No, I, I totally get what you're trying to say. I think I'm trying to say something else. What I'm trying to say is if I'm playing, again, go back to sports, if I'm playing a basketball game against LeBron, and all of a sudden the ref like puts on a LeBron jersey, I'm going to be very concerned. And that was the problem here was, you might have biases as a judge and, or, or you might be a, a registered Republican or Democrat. The point is none of that should be known. You shouldn't never have your biases questioned. And I disagree with you about the Georgia case in the sense that that judge may, went out of his way to make sure he wasn't involved. I don't know the judge's name. I haven't seen a single meme. I haven't seen a single thing that people are complaining about. That's what the point is. It seemed like this judge on purpose wanted to be the star of the show. He was complaining about all the media and everything, but it's clear to me that he wanted to be a character in the story is my point. And I'm just saying the ringtone had nothing to do with it. That's all I'm saying. I think it was just another storyline. Yeah. Right. The ringtone had nothing. That's all I'm saying is that the ringtone, I think we're in agreement that the judge in Kenosha was an asshole. And he was a racist ass, so there's a lot about it that just tells me he was a very bad person. But I did not need the ringtone to do that. Be, him not allowing the, the victims to be called victims, right? Him, him, you know, yeah. a lot of stuff that, as I said, if that ringtone had gone off in Georgia, no one would have said anything because we weren't suspect of that judge to begin with. That's all I'm saying. No, I hear you. I got you. Yeah. But now, one of the things, though, speaking of politics and double standards something happened this week by the republican party where they decided that they wanted to call out kamala harris for buying a 375 dollar pot while in paris um it was a cooking pot and we'll get into it but i will just say i talked to my father today who loves to cook um my dad said any hard-working person that either has enough money to begin with or saves up for a pot who loves to cook, a $375 investment for something that's probably going to last you multiple years, that'll probably be passed down to your children and your grandchildren, is not that big of a deal. But the Republicans decided to call out Kamala. I do think that there's some racial resentment uh, that they're trying to stoke here. Uh, But your thoughts? There's a lot of thoughts here. Let me just let me just rattle them off for you quick. Three hundred seventy-five dollars for a pot is not that uncommon, even even amongst people who might not even have money. But there's people who are spending good money on a cast iron or a good pot for sure. So that's the first thing. Second thing, how dare they try to act like this is genuine and we could all see through it? That's the problem I have here. Is that there's photos of Melania eating silver for a magazine, eating platinum jewelry. Trump literally has gold toilets. Trump literally was making money off the entire American people, his entire presidency, and he continues to do so after. They don't care. This is the problem is that Republicans are really good at throwing stuff at the wall and then distracting everybody. None of them care about this. Ted Cruz, I bet you, has a million of those pots. McConnell, all those guys live very, very luxurious. But they're the they're the working class party. When they want to cut workers' rights, they don't want to pay people minimum wage. 
they don't they, they're the anti-worker party in practice but they want to come off as a blue collar non-elitist uh union union uh representation right so the problem i have here isn't the this that we saw coming a million miles away right as soon as she was picked there was birth certificate questions all that all, all that bs right the problem I have is that we get, I think, get distracted so much that we want to defend uh, Kamala, that we want to defend the vice president, that we want to, pe- that we want them to play fairly. They're just never going to do that. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired of the rhetoric. I'm, I'm kind of tired of. I just want Jen Psaki to be like, this is BS, and I want to be, I want to stop asked, being asked about this because this is BS. You guys know it's BS, and you will refuse to ask these questions on the other side. So let's move on. I, I, I want to get to that point, to be honest. Well, I will say Peter Ducey will probably get sockied a few times this week if he asks about that or Nantucket. For sure. But I think, you know, to your point about all the, the, the hypocrisy, I'm going to give you a better hypocrisy. Um, the chairwoman of the Republican Party is no other than Romna, Rom, Rana Romney, uh, whatever her last name is. And, McDonald's um, McDonald's yeah. Mc, yeah. And what, but here's the best part. She can no longer use Romney McDaniel. Rana Romney McDaniel. And Trump asked her not to use her maiden name anymore, which because he's Mitt's niece. And Mitt Romney actually has a car elevator. So if she's going to call out, and if if the chair of the party did it, we can assume that it was done with her. Uh, you know, if the party did, because she was with the blessing of the chair, is she going to call out call out her uncle over the, the car elevator? You can't get more extravagant than that. Um, in addition to that, um, Kyle Rittenhouse, who is a hero to many Republicans. Um, used, you know how he bought his AR-15? He bought it with the STEMI. He bought it with, he got the STEMI money. His mom got the STEMI money. She passed it along to him. And he bought his AR-15, which he used to murder two people. And yes, even though he wasn't convicted, I'm calling him a murderer. They don't have a problem with using taxpayer money. Think about it. That's, you know, he used his welfare check, for lack of a better phrase, uh, which many of us received, uh, to, to buy a gun. Uh, I guarantee you, uh, Matt Getz Vimoed more than $375 to his buddy so that he could traffic underage girls and then Matt, Matt Gates can rape them. And yes, I'm calling it rape because if he had sex with underage women, that is statutory rape. So yes, Matt Getz is an alleged rapist. Um, and nobody, and more importantly, Trump spent $130,000 to keep Stormy Daniels quiet, you know, and you went ahead and you detailed all of the different taxpayer funded things. So, but it's something that the Republicans like to do with, uh, Democrats, black Democrats in particular, uh, you know, who else unfortunately likes to do it is the far left. They like to look into people's pockets. You know, Obama did very, is doing very well for himself and they're calling him out over that. Um, down to, um, at one point, Sam Stein who is not a right-winger, he's a journalist, probably leans a little bit more to the left, tried to call out uh, Biden for staying in this uh, home in Nantucket, which it turns out is a 40-year tradition for Joe Biden. So, you know, this um, trying to disconnect Democrats, and especially the black woman Kamala, but overall, uh, you know, someone like Joe Biden from working people, it's just really dashingly, especially when you consider that the Democrats last week, when they went ahead and passed um, the larger Build Back Better plan, um, they decided to make sure that the uh, 9.3 million people who buy insulin on a monthly basis could do so for $35 or less. 
um, not one Republican voted for it. So I think one of the things that you have is a situation where, first and foremost, it's meant to stoke racial resentment. It's meant to stoke class resentment and it, it, sexual, you know, misogyny or misogynoir, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, Kamala. But I'm saying even how, how they go after Biden. But at the end of the day, we have to do a better job of messaging around the fact that we're the ones helping out the working class people. And I just, I took offense to the way that they came after Joe uh, for Nantucket, and I definitely took offense at the way they came after Kamala. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy who was taking the Amtrak while he was still an elected official. Like, trust me, the, the problem here is that nobody, well I, I, well, I will say this, I'm happy with the response of, you guys are just BS and just leave us alone, right? Ted, let's just go back to not even a year ago. Ted Cruz, middle of a Texas crisis, middle of a weather storm, decides to get a police escort, which I know is customary for senators. I'm just, I'm just being petty. No, it's not customary. It med- it's not customary for senators only if he's a, a protectee. Most senators do not receive executive protection unless they're in leadership. Fair. All right. So he gets a police escort to the airport to bail on his state during a crisis, which they haven't fixed, by the way, which uh, we can talk about Beto a a little bit later, but he's running against, basically. Ted Cruz, who wants to be a man of the people, leaves his people to go to Cancun uh, in the middle of a crisis. So we know what the Republicans stand for. They stand for rich people, rich companies, tax cuts for rich people only. They don't want to give you stimulus checks. They don't want to give you minimum wage. They don't want to do anything but make money. Somehow they've become the blue collar party is all BS to me. Yeah. It's well, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's a farce. It, it goes to show how um, unconnected to reality they are. It's, it's, it, it, it's just frustrating. But you know, one of the things that is going to be coming up this week will be the Senate will be back in town and they're going to move forward with build back better. Or trying to see what you know what happens. One of the things I think that was very fascinating was that there was a calculation that initially um, talked about how taxes would go down for even people making over a million dollars, but um, there was an error. They actually still go up for people making over a million dollars, uh, and that was through the the salt deduction or or the, whether it's in there is is not. But I do think it's important that one of the things that happens this week is that Democrats in the House and Senate, especially on all the things they can agree with um, in both chambers, just really start selling and talking about what they stand for and what this bill will do, how it will help the American people. Now, I know that, um, uh, what's his name, Joe Manchin is not too thrilled with the whole uh, paid leave, but he seems fine with the, you know, the thing with the, penicillin like we just talked about um and some of some of the other uh elements that will uh you know really truly help people save and i, and I think they just have to really truly talk about it a lot this week i, I do agree with you i'm going to add a provision i'm going to add an asterisk and say not only should they talk about it they should also talk about how the republicans didn't vote for it and we've already seen, I've seen on my timeline, three Republicans 
who are taking credit for certain projects in their home state that happened now because of Build Back Better, and they're on the record voting no for it. No, no, no. It not happened so, because of Build Back Better. It happened because of the infrastructure bill. Build Back Better has not passed yet. Sure. It happened, gotcha. it happened. Gotcha. And by the way, it was I meant to say insulin, not pen, penicillin. So back to you. Gotcha. All right. Picked up on that. Uh, yeah, so we have to also do a good job of saying, look at all these good things, which I agree with you, and look at how come the Republicans don't want you to have them? How come the Republicans keep voting against them? We're in a we're in a place now where not only do we have to do the messaging in a positive way, but we also have to point out that Republicans are trying to just stall everything that we want to do. They want to stall minimum wage. They want to stall infrastructure. They want to stall health care. They want to stall COVID relief. And Republicans are good at doing this thing where they cause a problem, blame Democrats for the problem, and then say, look, at, elect us so we can fix these problems that we created. Hence what, what's, what's happening with COVID now, where it's like Biden is getting blamed for the COVID cases rising when all the Republican states are refusing vaccine mandates, refusing testing, refusing masks, refusing all these things. So I do agree with you. We have to talk about it more. But I think the little caveat is to say we also have to talk about how the Republicans don't want to help this country at all in any way. Right. Now, let's talk about one of the things that's in Build Back Better is $170 million for affordable housing. Think about that. That's going to help working class people. That's going to help folks, you know, get ahead. You know, affordable housing is key, afford- especially all that's going on. Um, you know, let's talk about what's in it. I'm, I'm going right now to the New York Times. There's, you know, a significant amount. Is, okay, $400 million to bolster support for children and families. $400 billion. And that's going to help people. And we have to keep talking about that, talking about that, talking about that. For people who care about the climate, there's $555 billion for climate change programs. And as we said, $170 million, a billion for housing aid. These are things that will be make a difference in people's lives. And we need to continue to hammer that home. And hammer that home for a few reasons. Um we need to realize that the media is not going to be our friends on this. We need to realize that Republicans are going to try to mislead or manipulate folks to believe what we're doing is not really what we're doing. And sadly, the media will fall for that. And I guarantee you that the media will not spend a lot of time talking about what's in it. They're going to talk about the political stakes. We always have to keep it going and keep the focus on what's in it and how it's going to help people. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Not only that, but I also think we have to do it in a, a objective way of not trying to steal Republican voters. I think I think this just I'm just going to harp on what I have said earlier. I, this passing this should be for future generations to go to those people who weren't old enough to vote in 2020, who are going to be old enough to vote in the next two elections to say, hey, you guys think this is both sides? Look at what we are trying to do. Nancy Pelosi is not going to be here. None of us are going to be here when climate change really takes effect. But you guys will be. And look at what we're trying to do to curb that. And look at what the other side's doing. So I'm done trying to get the anxiety, economic anxiety people of, of red states to vote for us. I'd much rather start saying, hey, we're trying to build America into what we think it can live up to. And that's why you should vote for us. I'm done trying to steal steal voters. Does that make sense? I just want right. to. I want to play offense. I rather. I much rather play offense instead and of defending the bill passing it. We should. We should just. We should be proud of it. 
and part of it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to keep doing this during this the few minutes we're talking about this. I'm gonna keep talking about what's in it. So, for instance, I'm gonna give you three paragraphs from the New York Times, and this is for healthcare, and healthcare is very important to people. And this is what will happen: the legislation would patch numerous holes in the Affordable Care Act, bringing the nation closer to the Democrats' goal of universal health coverage. The bill will extend generous subsidies that have lowered the cost of premiums for Americans who buy their own insurance. This is a big deal here. It would permanently extend a program that ensures millions of children from low-income families. It would guarantee a year of Medicaid coverage for eligible women the year after they have a child. By the way, my boss was the person who led that charge, so I'm very proud of that one. In a provision aimed at vulnerable people without health coverage, it would offer comprehensive health coverage to poor adults who live in 12 states that have declined the expanded Medicaid program. So now let me explain to you what this means. In places in the South where the Republicans have said, we're not going to accept uh, and be a part of the uh, marketplace, we're not. We're going to basically keep our people from health coverage. The federal government's going to swoop in at the Democrats urging and come in and make sure that people in those states, those 12 states, have access, and they don't have to go through their state to get that access. That is huge. Now, we're going to go ahead and talk about, I'm, I'm still talking about what's in it, but think about the political upside to that. We're going to go ahead and say, you know that health care that you've been wanting that you can't get, and you're still voting Republican? The Democrats, yes, the Democrats are going in, and they're making sure that you have that. So, now we're going to go ahead and move ahead. Several of these changes could expire after 2025, but millions of Americans will gain health coverage in the next few years. And guess what happens? People do not like to lose a benefit. If you give that benefit and someone takes it away, those people will pay a price for it. Older Americans will receive a number of new benefits. Medicare coverage uh, would begin covering hearing aids and audiology services in 2023. Medicare drugs benefit would become more robust, lowering the total amount any patient would be asked to pay to $2,000 a year. And patients who need long-term care services will see new funding to enable them to receive care at home instead of a nursing home. These are things that will help American people. These are things that will help people in red states and in, 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 in congressional districts that are red. And we need to swoop into those districts and tell people and remind them of this. These are huge things that will make a difference because no matter what your political stripes are, we all agonize over health care costs. I'm more of a pessimist, I think, on messaging than you are here. I keep having this Jordan Klepper segment stuck in my head where he was talking to Trump voters before the 2016 election when he was asking them about Hillary versus Trump. And I'll never forget this elder white lady who was saying, I know for sure Trump's going to take away my health care, but I'm still going to vote for him. And my worry here is that we're wasting time on those people. And I think we should get out there and say that and get some of our representatives to get out there and say that. But I think the real key here is those 16 to 24 year olds who don't vote as much as the 50 to 67 year olds to say, you got a real power here to push this country even further to where we need to be. And let's go after that. So I, I do see what you're saying. I, I just think some of it's a lost cause to be honest. Well, I will tell you our bigger problem on, a, first of all, I am a big uh, no, when it comes to people who criticize democratic messaging, first and foremost, uh, from an athletic standpoint, I will always say things can be better. But we spend so much, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use a a, a very pointed profanity here. 
We spend so much goddamn time negotiating and criticizing Democratic messaging. Republicans don't have good messaging. The Republicans will say, here's shit on a stick. And, the, and Republicans will say, well, there's shit on a stick. And Republicans are giving it to us, so it must be good shit on a stick. Democrats, we spend too much time arguing and allowing the media to argue and dissect. I'm never going to excuse bad messaging. We can always improve on it. But if we just went ahead and accepted some of the messaging, whether it's good or bad, it would work. And at case in point, the reason why I said one of our challenges will not be Republicans or the media, it will be people in our own party. A number of members of the squad have come out and, and basically has said a lot of stupid stuff this last week about how we're failing and stuff like that. You and I are big sports fans. I would never want to share a team or a locker room with these guys because how the University of Dayton, and I got to get this plug in, beat Kansas. The University of Dayton was 2-3 and three this past week. They were not ranked. They played number four Kansas, and they beat them. But do you think they beat them because they sat there and second-guessed the coach and second-guessed this? Or do you think they said, coach has got a plan, we're going to follow it, and we're going to believe we can win, and we're going to win? If they had done any of the things that members of the squad are doing, there's no way that the University of Dayton would have beat number four Kansas. And since I got that plug in, but that's a fun aside, but it's true. I guarantee you we have enough stuff to run on. We have enough stuff to win with. And the only thing that, well, I won't say the only thing. We all we don't know what the other side's going to do, but I will tell you one thing that's going to be counterproductive is Democrats poo-pooing what we did. And we just need to either, you know, convince them to, to sing from the same hymnal or push them aside, marginalize them. And that's not because we don't believe in what they believe in. I believe in a lot of the stuff that the squad believes in. I just don't agree with the approach. Yeah, just to be clear, I don't think the problem here is messaging as much as it's we also have to start talking about who are we messaging to, right? My only hope is that we could target um, younger and target people who are going to be new voters or maybe first-time voters who don't feel like we're doing enough uh, and don't want to show up again. I'd much rather target those people than try to swing some of the $75 million. Look, COVID disaster, the racial uh, uprising, the, the civil uprise uh, surrounding George Floyd, the tear gas protesters, he told people to eat Clorox. He was a disaster and he got more votes. It wasn't like he got by with the same, he got more votes than he did in 2016. I think not that all those 75 million people are a lost cause. I'm just saying there's going to be a new batch of people here who are going to start voting. And I'd much rather just try to siphon off those people instead of trying to flip the, the quote unquote Obama to Trump voter, if that makes sense. Yeah, but here, here's this is what I'm going to go back to, and this is why I'm saying that we as Democrats have to just get on board, is why we lost, and part of the reason we lost in 2010 was because there was a significant amount of progressives and the people who did the work to get Obama and elected in the Democratic Congress who stayed at home or who poo-pooed what we got in the Affordable Care Act. And so going back to what I was just saying about health care and, and uh, affordable housing and families and climate, we need to sell the hell out of that because a lot of the, you've got the squad running around saying we're failing, we're failing, we're failing. We're getting significant historic investments in all of those areas. 
And if we're going to win, and you're right, we might not. We First of all, I think we'll pick up some of those uh, people in red states if we can educate them. But to your point, our base will be more motivated if we celebrate what we got. There's too many people on the far left who are not invested in celebrating, and that will be a voter suppressing tactic. They might not know that's what they're doing. They might not really want to do that. But what they're doing, what Cory Bush is doing, what AOC is doing, what all the people who are poo-pooing what we're getting, they are engaging in voter suppression. And their voter suppression is no different than what the Republicans are doing to us. Because when you go ahead and you have that these significant gains and you poo-poo them, you are telling a certain amount of people who are influenced by you, don't vote for us because we didn't get anything done. And that is not the case. Yeah, I totally agree. I wasn't uh, as involved in 2010 to really understand what happened. But from what I understand now is this idea that we we passed the health care bill and then we apologized for it. We said, uh, sorry. And instead, I think the, the, the resentment sunk in and people were like, oh, well, OK. And they're apologizing for what they just passed. And I want us to, to spike the ball here. I want us to say, look at everything we're doing. Enough of this, uh, uh, we, we can't really win the game off home runs alone. We need to move the ball, and we need to get in the end zone. And this is an end zone, and this is where you spike the ball. This is where you say, what, I keep saying this, but what what piece of legislation have the Republicans passed in the last three presidencies that really helped anybody? There's Trump didn't pass a single piece of thing. Like, people don't think, people think I'm being exaggerated. Like, other than the tax cut, nothing happened that helped this country in any way under Trump. And we have to start saying that too, though, I think. It's saying, hey, stimulus, healthcare, education, minimum wage, boom, boom, boom. And I'm just done trying to apologize for good things that we're doing. It's to say, oh, we got three and a half. It wasn't six, but we got three and a half. Look, enough. Like, look at what we just got. Let's go get more. And that's the mentality we should have. Right. You, you, you like that meal? There's more where it came from, but you got you to gotta keep the exactly. chef in business. So. On that note, we're, we're coming up close to just under an hour, so uh, I think it's time to sign off. So for now, this is John signing off. And this is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys.